Enrollment Insights podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices and instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. All right. Hello, everyone. I am Angela Brown, the manager of B2B brand strategy at Niche. And today we are talking to Nita Hurley and Megan Devlin from the Discovery School about customer experience. Um, So we'll do some quick intros. I'm really excited about this conversation today. Starting with Megan, Megan is the co-director of admissions and enrollment management at the Discovery School, which is located in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I'm sure many of you are jealous of the weather they might be having at this point in the year. We're recording at the beginning of November. She has been with the school since 2012, and her roles have included both teaching and administrative positions. Previously, Megan worked in the hospitality industry in California and New York City, which helped her to develop her customer-oriented mindset. And Nita is the co-director of admissions and enrollment management. So these two work pretty closely together, which I think will come through in our conversation. She started with the school in 2006 as a teacher and continued her work in the classroom for 10 years. After transitioning into the administrative team, her focus shifted to admissions, enrollment management, and parent relations. And both Nita and Megan are looking forward to sharing their insights and experiences in transforming your campus-wide culture through a lens of customer service. Nita and Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So I saw Nita and Megan present at the Enrollment Management Association conference earlier this fall, and I loved their presentation on student parent experience and really cultivating a culture of customer service within their school. And I think there are just so many lessons that schools can learn from these two ladies today. But before we dive into the topic at hand, we'll start with the questions that we ask all of our guests. The first is, what is something that you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? Well, I think that as a team, we really are open to trying almost anything. So that might sound generic, but we're not afraid of failure. I feel like that's the best way to learn. That's the principle that we iterate with all of our children. That's failure is how you learn best. So that is what we try. I think we've tried a few different things along the way, especially during the lockdown when we all had to become super flexible with where we work and how we work and how we attract new families and retain our current families. Something particular we tried uh, was being a testing site for our standardized tests for our upper grades. And I don't think it really worked out as planned. We'd have some students come, but it wasn't this overwhelming rush to be this huge testing site. And I think we really reflected that our families and our prospective families are drawn to us because we provide a boutique experience. Mm -hmm. And that made us think that we really need to shift more to a personalized experience for the admissions process and not have a big testing site for a standardized test. I don't think it really matched the culture that we have at the school. So we decided to do away with that. And I think everyone's been much happier to have their Saturdays back. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I think that's, that's a really great call out as well, too, is really mapping 
the different touch points that you have in your admissions process, not just to what you need as an institution, but making sure it aligns with your culture, your brand, and the experience that you're trying to provide to your families. Because that that testing experience, that's it all starts in the admissions process, right? It's very, it's very circular. And so what those families experience before they even decide to enroll at your school, it's part of the experience that they have overall. And so I think that's also a great alley-oop into the rest of our conversation, <laughs> which is coming up soon. And this next one uh, in our standard question list, I'd actually, I'm very curious to hear how you respond to this, especially as two people who work so closely together. What are some practices that you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? Yes. So Megan and I have worked together actually for a long time. So five years now, fully committed to admissions and enrollment management together. And I feel like outside of our professional life, we're also great friends. And so it feels like every day, all day is kind of a brainstorming session (laughs) for us. Um, Even the way our office is set up, our desks face each other. We have our development coordinator right next to us as well. And so brainstorming pretty much happens all day, every day for our little trio of team members. We do really feel like collaboration is sort of in everything that we do. And we use it as a cornerstone definitely in all of our work. We abide by that idea of like, let's throw all the ideas on the table. No idea is a bad idea. Just because we did it last year, it doesn't mean we have to do it again. And so we very much look at that idea of the world's always changing. Our work is always changing. So let's always you know, bring new ideas to the table and, and see what sticks. And sometimes those wild hair ideas that we didn't think would actually work have turned out to be some of the best things that we've created. I love that. And I I think that goes back to not being afraid to fail, right? I think that that anxiety and that fear can really hold you back from innovation and from doing things that really can work well from you. So the, the two really go hand in hand. I think some of the best ideas can really come from just not having artificial limitations that you that you put on yourself and taking away that fear of of something not working because that's how we learn and how we grow. So I think that's a great lesson for the folks who might be listening to this episode once we go live. So now we're going to dig into the big topic of our conversation. And I want to start at the very beginning because typically when there's a big initiative like this or a significant change, there's some sort of catalyst for it, right? So can you describe what caused you to decide to change the way that you were approaching parent experience? Sure. Yeah, (laughs) we'd be happy to. (laughs) So we'll we'll set the stage a little bit with a little bit of the backstory of our school because I think it does help give a little context. So we were a small school 10 years ago, and we kind of had a fledgling elementary program that we were sort of evaluating from an enrollment side, like, does this make sense to continue with elementary? Well, yes, we want to, but what what is that going to look like? And so we were going through a bit of an identity crisis as a school. And so during that time, we looked at expanding programmatically what we were offering. So 
We were founded as a Montessori school, but we began to explore the idea of adding in the IB program. And so when we were doing this work, we decided, gosh, this is going to be a big endeavor. We're going to add a new program to the school. We're going to look to expand our grade levels and go all the way through eighth grade. So there were a lot of things sort of cooking, if you will. And we knew that doing this work was going to take an entire team effort to get on board with. So we knew that we had to bring the faculty along with us on this journey in a really intentional way. So when we were looking at that, we sort of stumbled upon the book, Be Our Guest, in like an amazing blog post somewhere or resource board. And in reading the book, Be Our Guest, it sort of triggered this idea that, gosh, you know, if we really focus on our customer service, we know we're about to take our families on this big change journey with the Mm -hmm. school. And if we really focus to make sure that their experience is exceptional, you know, we'll all kind of weather this change together. And so we, that's sort of how we kind of stumbled upon this idea of let's put a focus on customer service. Let's make sure that our entire team is sort of united in this effort that, you know, we want to get to the next phase of what our school is going to look like. And we, it's an all hands in approach. So we use sort of that, the book and the model to kind of launch that as we began this, this journey. I love that. And, and that's something that we'll make sure that we link to in the show notes because I know how much you all love a resource and something that you can take a deeper dive into um, after listening to the episode. So based on the book and other brilliant ideas that I'm sure the two of you probably had in, in your close working relationship, can you share some of the strategies and initiatives that you've put in place to make sure that everyone understands and actively contributes to that culture of customer service? Because I know one of the big questions we get all the time when it comes to any sort of marketing or admissions initiative is, how do I get my faculty on board? And so I I would love to dig into that a bit more. Yeah. I mean, we can't do it without faculty buy-in. That's They're spreading this message every single day. So really, we have to start this mindset from the very beginning in pre-planning weeks when everyone comes back. Uh, the presentation you saw in Las Vegas is actually an adaptation of an internal training we do with all of our faculty in the beginning of the year. Oh. So we do this for all of, all returning faculty as well as new faculty and really want them to adopt the mindset of the Be Our Guest model. We have coined the phrase discovery magic and Be Our Guest. And those are just campus jargon now that's used whenever we are up against a challenge or we have uh, an event happening. How do we bring that discovery magic or the Be Our Guest mindset to this particular experience because we want from the first impression that of someone coming on campus and the admissions process to they've been here for 10 years and they're coming back for you know a parent event they're always amazed at what we can kind of pull off and it's kind of fun to do the impossible that's what we always tell our our faculty so we actually provide a copy of the be our guest book to all new faculty when they arrive. And we provide that as well as a welcome bag for all of the faculty because we want them to 
really adopt the culture from the beginning and that they are valued members of this team that we won't be able to do this without them. So I think that sort of sets the stage a little bit for how we treat our faculty and how we want our faculty to treat other parents. It's a collaborative, cohesive unit. So we also invite them to be part of the pretty committee um, that we coined. So that is work. <laughs> Thank you. You can use it. Um, so we partner with our facilities team to really take a fresh perspective on our campus and kind of walking through the classrooms and around the campus, like what is a, as a new person going to see on campus and how would this mm-hmm. appear? So, you know, every school always has the, you know, the stray pencil that, that pops up or there's a wrapper or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, the broken window theory of the book suggests that mm-hmm. if you let a broken window happen, what else is happening inside the classroom, so to speak. So we want to make sure that everything is that has that wow factor from when people come on. So I think with those simple kind of slogans and jargon and like providing the book and the training from the get-go, we've really adopted this ethos throughout the campus. And it's continuing and it's always evolving. So we have to always make sure that not only are we setting some time aside, in the beginning of the school year that we're also continually kind of reinforcing that and supporting them throughout the school year. And I was, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say to kind of add on to that when we started this original Be Our Guest work, I mean, this was, gosh, a good eight years ago or so. So it's been something that we've we've stuck with it. So it's not a concept that, you know, we read a book one year and then we totally forgot about it and just, you know, oh, that was a required reading or recommended reading on a list here. So it is kind of funny now, as Megan was saying, like we do use these terms often, whether it's like a challenging parent meeting and we're like, well, just be our guest and, you know, put on, put on a good smile and listen. And we've, we've really tried to create that culture. And so for teachers that have been with us for a long time, they know that this is just who we are, but it's certainly something that, you know, it takes a while. So don't feel like just reading the book is going to plug and play. It'll, it'll all happen overnight. I think there are a lot of important things that you hit on, and uh, particularly the piece about starting from the very beginning. I think anytime you want new faculty, new staff to really understand and embrace a cultural element of your school, whether it's information about your brand, your approach to student and parent experience, any sort of educational philosophy you might have. It's so important that that become part of the onboarding process. And it also sends a message that it's important to the institution. It's just as important as you know, finding out where your classroom is located and getting your benefits information, you know, like it it is, it is, it just really sends a message about what a school values. And that's so, so important. I just think that's really powerful. And the fact that Be Our Guest and the Discovery Magic have become these sort of mantras and shorthand for a much bigger initiative. I think that's just so fabulous. I love that. That's great. Thank you. So the next piece that I think is equally important is if, if you can talk more about how you involve parents and students in creating and also evaluating your customer service experience, because I think having that feedback loop is really important, 
but there also may be some opportunities for for them to get involved as well. Definitely. So I would say even as early as in our admission process and our introductory tours and when we're first meeting families, we really do stress the importance of a partnership, that we want parents to feel like this isn't just an exchange of you're choosing our school and we're providing a service. We want parents to see that you know, you're in this journey with us and we are all sort of on this ride together with your child at the center, but we expect you as a parent to be just as active in this process as, as our faculty and staff. So I think we really try to, to focus on that a lot through the admission process so that by the time a family is enrolled in the school, they have really sort of bought into this idea that, you know, they are an important part of this, this partnership, this homeschool model that we, we want to create. You know, we like to collect a lot of information from the parents. So whether that's through surveys, whether that's through anecdotal information from teachers, just sort of sharing parent feedback, we really like to make sure that parents understand that their voice is heard. Of course, it doesn't mean we, we can do everything that the parents are asking or make sweeping changes over the school. <laughs> that is not always possible, as we all know, but we want to make sure that they know we value them as a member of the community. We want to hear their feedback. We want them to know that this is an open door space for them to provide this information. And then I think in turn from the student side, you know, if we're not having a great student experience, then all this work is really for nothing. Yes. We want the students to come to school every day. And of course, it is school. So there is a component that some things we can't always control, but we really do want that student experience to be something that they're proud of and that they're excited about their own school environment. For us as a school, we serve children from 18 months all the way through eighth grade. So of course we have this population of really young, young learners that it's a little harder to gauge their student experience <laughs> from their opinion. But certainly we look to our elementary and our middle school students to really ensure that you know their experience is meeting the expectations that we have. And even just this week, I think in conversation, our student council wanted to speak with our development coordinator because they had some thoughts and feedback about our new campaign that we're doing and what changes we're making to the campus. So we want them to know that their voice is heard and it's important. So I think, again, sort of stressing that partnership model that we want our students to see that too, that they can be advocates. We want them to know that we want them to be proud of their school. So this is a space where we want them to feel like they have a voice as well. We also have student ambassadors that we have slowly started cultivating with our middle school students to, again, have another platform for them to share what are their you know greatest joys about school, what are their challenges, what would they like to see changed. So again, it's another space that we're still growing in that. You know, we've we never claim that we're perfect in it, mm -hmm. but it's a space that we're always kind of continuing to um, to find ways to to grow. I love that. That's great. And what how fun to allow some student council members to talk to <laughs> to the development coordinator. I think that's that's really it's a huge testament to some of the things that are possible in in some of these school communities where. You know, you really can, if you want to talk to a head of school or a division director, you know, those opportunities are available to you. And to have that kind of agency in elementary or middle school is just a really, 
like I, I can imagine that for the students, it probably just helps to build confidence and to really just have a great sense of, of their place in the world. And so I think that's a great example. I love that. Yeah, I think our director of development liked it too. I think it's good. To, yeah, I think it's good to go back to the why. And sometimes we get involved in our office and our work, and actually, for him to have the opportunity to hear from the students, like what's important for them and what they want to see. And I think that was a highlight of his day. Absolutely. I actually there was a conversation that I had, and I can't remember who it was with or the context, but it was basically around how a lot of decisions at schools about the students or about what students are looking for in the admissions process are made by a group of adults sitting in a conference room. Mm -hmm. And so it is really powerful to take advantage of opportunities to get that student feedback and to give them opportunities to to be engaged in the work that's Mm -hmm. happening in some of the administrative functions in the school. So I love that. This is probably an example of that, but I would love to hear more for for the folks who are listening to the episode. So if you could share some examples of some specific instances where your school went above and beyond to exceed expectations for students or parents or both, (laughs) which would be even better. Yeah. I mean, our our little advancement team, I think that mantra that I said earlier, it's kind of fun to do the impossible we really take that to heart. And as a small independent school, we wear a lot of hats. So Mm -hmm. not only do we do admissions and enrollment management, but we handle all the events on campus. So that goes into the planning and execution of them. So we joke that we're the craft services, but I'd say (laughs) one specific highlight that we have throughout the year is we have a grandparents and special friends week And that's really when we roll out the red carpet, so to speak. So we have found for some of our more mature guests that come on campus, valet (laughs) parking was a must because parking can be a challenge. And we thought that additional touch was helpful and we got really great feedback from it. We invited this cute little flower truck past year and it was a big hit. So the children got to take their grandparent or special friend and create a special bouquet as an experience. Oh, wow. During that event, we published our first magazine and that was a take-home gift during Grandparents and Special Friends Week. So I think Grandparents and Special Friends Week, it really is the culmination (laughs) of the year and the customer service experience. And I think that that actually, in turn, really impacted the parent community because mm-hmm. it's their their own parents that they're sending to school or their own special community members or friends that they're sending to our campus. And that's an opportunity to showcase what we do and the customer service experience that we want to provide to our families. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it's the little things. It's not the the big event, but it could be there's a rough drop-off in the morning and we make sure to go get a picture of that child happily working in class and email it to the family so that they're not anxious throughout the morning when their child is upset. I think some of those smaller touches are equally important as the big events like the Grandparents and Special Friends Week. 
I, I've I've had rough drop-offs before when my son was little, so I know how meaningful it can be. And they, those things stick with you. I think that's an important thing to to mention is that, you know, as parents, when you're when you're dropping your children off at school and they have a rough morning or they come home from school and they had a tough moment that they tell you about out of context a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, there are all of these these situations where the kids can really drop these breadcrumbs that can stick with you and have you wondering, are they okay? Is it, you know, what, who should I talk to? What do I do? You know, I think we also kind of go into problem solving mode immediately <laughs> as parents and you know, having that, that touch point and just that reassurance is really powerful, even as a small act. So, of course, for our data-driven folks or the people who are like, this sounds like a lot of work. How will I know that it's doing anything? <laughs> right? We want to we help those people too. So if you could talk now about how, and I, I know you had some great takeaways about this in the session at EMA, but how you track the effectiveness of these sort of experiential efforts and how you use that data to do some of the continuous improvement that, you know, to your point earlier is, is just a part of this. You know, you never want to sit still and just assume that everything is working perfectly. You always want to kind of iterate on the process. Yeah, it's, it's something that I know when we talked at our session, we kind of look at two different lens of data. The one bucket for us in the world of admissions and enrollment is really looking purely at our enrollment numbers and our retention numbers and sort of seeing over time since we implemented this model with a really intentional focus on ensuring that our whole team was on board, you know, how, how did that impact our things? And what we have seen is a steady growth of enrollment during a time that was really questionable. We all know we've had a couple wild years in the world. <laughs> and so for us to kind of reflect that, okay, this model has continued to work for us. And we've seen that in our word of mouth referrals. Our families are really happy. So the best thing they can do is go tell their friends that they're really happy and they're missing out if they're not at this particular school. And so we have seen that trend continue to grow over these years. And so for us, in our admissions world, that's really a piece of data that we always sort of reflect back on. Our parents have naturally become our best ambassadors. And then I would say as another piece, I know we mentioned surveys. We do surveys a lot. And I would say in recent years, we've probably increased the amount of surveys that we have done. And our parents are getting better at taking surveys. And <laughs> the interesting thing is you send out a survey and sometimes only a few people respond and you don't know if it's valid data. Is it just the people that want to complain or tell you all their thoughts? And what we've seen sort of as a trend is we're getting a lot more responses in general, which is great. So we feel like we have a better sample size of our population. And so with those surveys, we do find intentional time to sit down with our head of school to really dissect what are the trends that we're seeing is there a particular program that's having some challenges that we can relate back to the parent comments and what are those trends well what's happening in that program are there things that we should adjust and it can be hard to kind of look in the mirror sometimes and hear that feedback because mm -hmm. i know megan and i we take it personally sometimes because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it feels like an attack of all the great work that we know everybody's doing 
But we've really tried to go into those reflection times with a very open mind that, you know, these are our clients. And as much as people want to focus on the school part of things, we are a business. And so we need to listen to our clients. And maybe they have valid concerns and feedback, and we need to address that if we can. Of course, some things we can't address immediately, but through some of our survey data, there have been some simple changes that we have made in, in whether it's our communication trends and that, you know, they want their email updates earlier in the day. Okay, well, we change our workflow so that we can get those in their inbox, you know, earlier in the day if possible. And so some of it is, you know, directly impacting our work, but we want to show parents that, hey, we're all in this together and we want your experience to be exceptional. It doesn't mean it'll change overnight, but we'll do what we can. So I think letting people know, don't be scared of the surveys, <laughs> ask the questions that you mm-hmm. want to hear, even if it's hard feedback, you know, get the feedback and then really work with your internal senior leadership teams to see, okay, what can we do? What, what are things that we can change and make a difference in? I didn't plan this, but I'd like to dig a little bit deeper in this because I think this is a really helpful piece for the folks who are listening. Can you talk a little bit more about the types of surveys that you're conducting and some of the questions that you're asking and also how you're managing parent expectations around what will be done with the data? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think we with the many hats that we wear, we are also in charge of communication. So we have a weekly update that goes out on Friday and our head of school does include a letter. So she'll kind of touch on some, some points that she's noticed throughout the week or like thanking parents for coming to an event. Those are a great opportunity for her to address. Maybe this is a a trend that I saw in this particular survey. You know, we we send out a new family survey and a returning family survey in the beginning of the year. So she'll she'll take some of those points and talk about either that that's going to be an agenda item to discuss with the board of directors or that she noticed this and she appreciates the feedback. I think those are great touch points just to acknowledge and thank everyone for their survey. We do have a state of the school in January. It's an open forum where the whole school community comes and she can reflect on the past year, uh, the vision for the future, go over questions and programmatic changes. That's a great piece of data. And then we do survey families afterwards. So it's an event feedback. What did you uh, learn? Was it helpful? What would you like to see change in the presentation format for next year? And obviously that can be work that we reflect on, and then we can iterate for the next year. Um, We also send out a mid-year survey as well. Mm -hmm. And then we have end-of-year surveys. And those are sort of the more formal surveys that we do. Of course, we have parent-teacher conferences coming up next this week, actually. Yes. Um, And I think that's a a good point for the teachers to kind of connect with families and, you know, discuss items with them. Our PTO has a weekly coffee date and Nita and I actually go to it once a month. And that's a great impersonal way to get some informal feedback over coffee where, you know, someone might have a question or they bring it up that they they were curious about and we can 
kind of quickly address that and maybe highlight that in the newsletter or communicating that with the teachers so that that they can communicate it with their own classrooms. I mean, it can be everything from what's our field trip planned for later in the year to are we building a high school? It it can be big. big (laughs) Yeah, it's a wide range. (laughs) But I think um, communicating and communicating often and proactively communicating are really helpful when you get that feedback Mm -hmm. from those surveys. I was going to say what I'm hearing is there's this constant sense of communication. So requesting feedback isn't necessarily a single event, you know, which I know it can be in a lot of schools. It's like there's one big survey that happens in in the spring and you may or may not know what happens after you take the time to, to complete it. But there's a continuous culture of both soliciting feedback, but also reporting reporting out on it. And I think that that helps as well. It really helps with building trust with your families, I'm sure. But it's also very relational. You know, it's a it's a constant point of connection with your families, which is so, so important, especially in a small school environment. Absolutely. So that's perfect. So I'm sure it always happens. We'll have a podcast episode and people are dying to speak to our guests and learn more about what you're doing and to bounce ideas off of you. So if we have some folks who want to connect with you after the episode, where should they go? Yeah, great question. And this is such a fun um, kind of piece of feedback from our first presentation as well, because we've had a number of people reach out. So it's, it's a lot of fun to connect with colleagues around the globe as to what they need and how we can potentially help them. So the best way to get in touch with Megan and I is we actually share an email address. So our email address is admissions, plural, with an S on the end, at thediscoveryschool.org. So we, um, that's probably the best way to, to reach out to us. And we are pretty quick on email. So we're always happy to, to talk with folks or to send ideas. We've shared our presentations before and happy to provide any tips and tricks that have worked for us that we can. Or if they're in the Northeast Florida area and they want to visit. visit, we would oh. love to have them on campus and show them a little bit about what we do here and see our beautiful campus. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing so much with us. We really, really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure talking to you both. This has been fun. Likewise. Thank Thank you you so so much. much for having us. This was a lot of fun.